following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are starting a new series this morning on the Holy Spirit. And just a couple of housekeeping things on that. We do have study sheets for this series. Uh, I'm writing a study sheet each week to go along with the sermon for the next six weeks it'll be. So you can get those study sheets on the, on the table over there, if you like, uh, in the orange box. Uh, or you can get them online. There's a link off our homepage to our Holy Spirit resources. And if you click that, the, these study sheets will just accumulate there. So if you want to download them for your life group or just for you or for a social circle, whatever you want, uh, you're welcome to do that. Just some questions that flesh out the stuff that we'll be talking about. Also, uh, there's a book that uh, I would really recommend, especially for uh, parents and families. It's called Three in One. This is a book on how to explain the Trinity to children. The Trinity, yeah, which is virtually inexplicable for adults, and uh, they managed to explain it for children. It's a brilliant book. talks about the role of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit using the image of an apple. Isn't that great? The apple peel and the flesh and the core, talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it just goes through so well and talks about the role of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and and how they each work and the role they each have in salvation and basically leads through a salvation message, a gospel message. Uh, So really easy to understand. Even I could get this. And so you can buy it for about 10 bucks on Amazon. It's called Three in One. We might put the details in your bulletin next week. Uh, But really good, really good recommended resource as part of the Holy Spirit series to see the Spirit in the context of the Trinity and then translate that to kids is fantastic. So parents, get a hold of that one. Okay, so the Holy Spirit. Some of you will be quite excited that we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit. Some of you are quite nervous about it. And you're wondering what kind of series is this going to be? What's the agenda here? Are we going to become one of those Holy Spirit churches? Are we all going to be rolling around on the ground, making strange noises, laughing uncontrollably, swinging from the chandeliers? What's, what's happening here? And probably the way that you respond to the very idea of a series on the Holy Spirit reflects something of your background, if you have a church background at all. Uh, you might have come from a church, had experience in a church where people talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And it was just always the big deal, Um, being baptized in the Spirit, being slain in the Spirit, speaking in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, whatever. It was all about the Spirit all the time. And you you may have responded positively to that, or it may not have been positive for you. Uh, Others of you have had backgrounds in churches where the Holy Spirit wasn't mentioned at all. Basically, the Trinity was like a duet for you, and it was the Father and the Son. They were the main players. And the Spirit just kind of got relegated to a distant third if, if he was talked about at all. Some of you may even have negative connotations of the Holy Spirit because you associate him with weird things. People laughing and shaking and crying and writhing around uncontrollably on the ground. You think about pastors waving jackets around on the stage, people falling over. You think about gold dust and gold fillings and spirit fingers. And uh, that was a new one for me, by the way, spirit fingers. Uh, And flags and ribbons and all kinds of things. And you're like, you know, if that's the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to stick with the Father and the Son. Thanks very much. I don't want that. And that for you is is the sum total of the Spirit's work. So we come to this series with all kinds of perceptions and associations of the Holy Spirit based on what we've seen or heard or been exposed to or just thought about the Spirit's work. So there's absolutely no way in this series that I'm going to keep you all happy. 
There's a pretty good chance by the end of it I will have offended most of you, if not all of you, uh, which is why I'm going on sabbatical straight after this series. So <clears throat> that's, gonna, that's good timing, isn't it? So uh, the Holy Spirit. Let me just say something um, up front about the Spirit. You, you notice already, hopefully, that I'm trying to use the personal pronoun to speak about the Spirit. I'm trying to refer to him as a he. So I, I don't mean any gender distinction by that. The, the main distinction is not between he and she. It's between he and it. And a lot of the time when we talk about the Spirit, we talk about him as an it. And I, I think we've got to stop doing that. Uh, the Spirit is not a force or a generic power or energy, or principle, or life force like on Star Wars. He's not that. And if we keep talking about the Spirit as it, we're going to drift into this very impersonal way of describing the Spirit, which is then going to affect how we experience the Spirit in a very impersonal way. So here's the first application of this series. I want you to get a jar and put it at home or in your life group, and it's going to be the Holy Spirit jar, okay? It's not weird, but whenever someone refers to the Holy Spirit as an it, 20 cents in the jar, Okay? And then you give it back to the church. All right? Yeah. So this is the Holy Spirit jar. And uh, if you catch me describing the Spirit as an it, because uh, I'm working on this too, then uh, you can tell me afterwards. Don't put up your hand, but just tell me afterwards. And um, we can, I'll have my own little jar. That's fine. I'll participate. So, but this is, this is just a good practice to get us thinking because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a person, right? He is a person. He is the person of God the third person of the Trinity, with all the attributes of personhood, with agency and voice and emotion, and he acts, he does things, not just an impersonal force, okay? So let's start thinking of the Spirit uh, that way, right from the beginning. What I'd like to do for the next six weeks is just walk with you through the biblical story and look at the way the role of the Spirit unfolds from creation, where we're going to start today, right through to new creation in six weeks' time. And Study the way the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Spirit, is revealed as the story of Scripture is revealed. Now what you'll notice, because today we're going to be mainly in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament the Spirit generally is described in more impersonal terms. So we will talk about power and force and energy and those things. But just keep in mind that this is one week of the whole series. Okay, So in the full revelation of the Scriptures, the Spirit has this personhood of God. But that's not fully revealed yet in the Old Testament. I just want to walk through the story as the story is told so we get this unfolding sense of the Spirit's work and purpose. Is that okay? Make sense? Okay. All right, so Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll start. Very first verse or couple of verses in the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you ever thought the Spirit wasn't in the Old Testament, because generally we think he's just this New Testament phenomena, but uh, here he is right here in the first couple of verses. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's basically a summary statement for the whole chapter, the whole first two chapters of the Bible. That's the banner heading, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the writer is going to go on to explain in more detail what was created and how that worked. Now verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now that phrase there at the beginning, now the earth was formless and empty. That's a, in Hebrew, the original language this was written in, that's a beautiful poetic phrase, formless and empty. It sounds like this, tohu wabohu. Isn't that cool? Formless and empty. Tohu wabohu. I think we all need to say that. One, two, three. Tohu wabohu. Isn't that great? Formless and empty. That was the state of 
the earth before God uh, made more things to fill the earth and separated land from sea and land from sky and so on. But in the beginning, the earth was formless and empty. Those words have a slightly stronger connotation than just formless and empty. They reappear together again in Isaiah 34, and there they are translated chaos and desolation, tohu and bohu. And so when you, when you think of this original earth that God created, it's empty, it's formless. There's the sense that it lacks any life, that it lacks any peace. It is chaotic. It is disordered. It is unstructured. It's without life and peace and harmony, and it is yet to be filled by good things. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to suggest for a moment that God created something that is evil. God didn't do that. He created this world and it was good. But there's this moment in the creation story after God creates the earth itself and the earth is still just covered in water. When the earth is formless and empty, it's like a moment of anticipation. It's like a pause just before the earth is filled and bursts into life. But in that pause, the earth is tohu wabohu. It is formless and empty, chaotic, disordered, and desolate. It's a pretty eerie sounding place. And that's fleshed out by the next phrase. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. That makes the world sound quite ominous, doesn't it? And I think the deep refers simply to the ocean that covered the whole earth at the time. But interestingly, both of those images, darkness and ocean, in Scripture, they often refer to the absence of God. They often refer, refer to, to things, spaces, realms, outside of God's love, outside of God's presence, outside of God's peace. Sometimes there are even images of judgment, the darkness and the ocean or the sea. When, when you get through to Revelation 21 and 22, this description of the new heavens and the new earth, we are specifically told that there will no longer be any sea. I don't think that literally means there's not going to be any ocean in the new creation, but simply that the powers and forces of chaos are going to be subdued. There will be no more chaos, there'll be no more disorder, there'll be no more destruction. But at the beginning, the darkness covered the surface of the deep. So there is again this sense of an absence of the life that the earth needs in order to be sustained. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. First time in the Bible we are introduced to the Spirit of God. Now the word spirit here is the word ruach. The Hebrew word ruach. And the most basic literal way of thinking about that word is air in motion. Okay, so there's two ideas going on here with ruach. Air, but not just static air. It's always air that is going somewhere. Air that is doing something. Sometimes in the Old Testament it's translated as powerful wind or breath. It is air that is being energized, it is doing something, it is dynamic, it's not just filling a room, it is accomplishing something, it is moving in a particular direction, it's full of energy and life. That's the sense of ruach, air in motion. So often in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, ruach simply literally means wind or breath. It, it just describes the literal air. In and of itself, it doesn't necessarily refer to the Holy Spirit. So only the context is going to tell you that as you look up the Spirit in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's talking about a wind that comes, a powerful wind from God, maybe that God sends. Sometimes it's talking about the spirit of a person, like the inner heart or soul of a person. My spirit was grieved within me, that sort of usage. But then other times, it is a reference 
to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, as it is here. And you often tell that because it talks about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Yahweh. When it's connected to God that way, it's usually a reference to the Holy Spirit, the person of God. So here we have the Ruach, the Spirit of God as a person, hovering over the waters, hovering over the waters of chaos, the waters of tohu wabohu. And there's this beautiful sense of the Spirit just anticipating what's about to happen, just holding back until God gives the word. One translation says, the Spirit of God brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. This lovely picture, like an eagle circling its young, just waiting, presiding, protecting. And then God said, let there be light. And the Spirit isn't mentioned again in the creation story after that. But the Spirit's work is everywhere present in creation. When you think about creation, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all involved. We generally just think that this was God. We kind of use the generic word God, or we think about the Father, but the Spirit was just as involved in the work of creation and bringing forth the created world. The best way to think of this, I think, is, is to picture a speaker, a person speaking. After all, when we read Genesis 1, we get the idea that creation was spoken into being. It came about through the speech act of God. So the Father is the speaker. The Father is the person speaking. He is the origin, the source, the ground of creation, if you like. The one from whom it all originates, his idea, and he is the speaker, the one speaking. Now, if the Father is the speaker, who is the Son? Jesus. Well, taking a cue from John 1, I think we can describe Jesus as the Word, the living Word, the Word that the Father speaks. So when God says, let there be light, in some sense, he's speaking Jesus. In some sense, Jesus is the message. Jesus is the medium. Jesus is the one through whom all things are made, as we find in the New Testament. So Jesus is actively involved as the word coming out of God's mouth, bringing things into being. But what about the spirit? Well, sticking with the idea of ruach, I think we can talk about the spirit as the breath of God the powerful breath. If the Father is the speaker and the Son is the Word, the Spirit is the breath of God that comes out of the mouth of God, the creative agent, the powerful agent that then brings forth what God has spoken, brings about the world that God has spoken life into. So creation is by the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. All three of them are involved. All three of them are working together as the triune being of God to bring about what, what comes. And so as you read Genesis 1, even though the Spirit may not be mentioned much, think of the Spirit as the creative power of God constantly bringing forth what God has spoken into being. And so then we get to day six. And we get to this moment when God creates humanity. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Isn't it interesting there that God uses the plural pronoun? He says, let us, not just let me, but let us. I think we have here a subtle reference to the Trinity, to the fact that God is not just one being in one person, he is one being in three persons. 
Father, Son, and Spirit. And he says, let us together as Father and Son and Spirit, let us make human beings in our image. And so he does. And we get a picture of how the Spirit's involved in this in Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, to be fair, that word breathe there is not ruach. It's another word for breathe. But I think the picture is the same. God breathes life into a human being. He breathes the breath of his spirit into the first human being. And it is that that enables Adam to become a living being. And from that point on, Every human being who has ever lived has been brought about by the breath of God, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God. Job acknowledged this. Just flick over to Job chapter 33. I'll be flicking around just a little bit this morning. Job 33. Job says in verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So we get this idea that human beings are breathed into life by the Holy Spirit. That from conception, when a human life first forms, it is the result of the Spirit of God working and bringing about a human life. Again, spoken by the Father, created through the Son, but breathed into life by the Holy Spirit. I went with Anna the other day to her uh, 12-week pregnancy scan. We've got another baby due in in December. And uh, it's amazing at the 12-week mark, how much you can see, right? You, you know, the individual vertebrae, the fingers, the toes, this, this real little life in there. And this, I think, we need to credit to the work of the Spirit. It's no less the work of the Father or the Son, but it is also the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we sideline the Spirit so much, we don't feel like that's an appropriate realm to bring the Spirit into. But the Spirit creates every living thing, every human being. The only reason that you and I are taking a breath right now is because we are sustained at every moment by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit just gave you that breath. And the next one. And the next one. The Spirit of God is at work all around us, giving life and sustaining life and taking life away. Flick over one chapter in Job, Job 34, verse 14. Job says, If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together. And mankind would return to the dust. So at the end of our lives, God withdraws his spirit from us and we breathe our last breath and we die. So if you didn't have the Holy Spirit in any sense, it's not just that you wouldn't be a Christian. You would be dead. Because the Spirit of God works upon every single human being and every created thing to give life, sustain life, and take life away. The work of the Spirit is huge. Now, This might be a bit of a different way to thinking about the Spirit than some of you are used to because we typically associate the work of the Holy Spirit only with the realm of redemption. That is, the Spirit is the one who comes to live within us when we become a Christian. The Spirit empowers us to live a godly life. And of course that's true. Of course that's true. And we're going to spend most of the rest of the series on those roles of the Holy Spirit. 
but we cannot restrict the Spirit to those roles, otherwise we are not doing justice to the way the Scriptures themselves talk about the breadth of the Spirit's work. The Spirit is active not only in redemption, but also more broadly in creation. Creating, sustaining, upholding, and removing life from every living thing. We've got to think about the Spirit in both of those ways, active in redeeming people, but also active in creation. Now, one qualification here, I don't want to suggest by this that every person, every human being is suddenly filled with the Spirit in the same way that Christians are. You know, you, you might go down that road with this kind of teaching and feel like, well, does this mean if God breathes His Spirit into every person, every person's got the Holy Spirit, therefore every person's saved, therefore every person's going to heaven when they die, and the whole theology of the Spirit collapses into universalism. That's not what I'm saying, and I don't believe that's what the Old Testament teaches at all. The distinction, I think, can be put this way. Every human being is acted upon by the Holy Spirit. But followers of Jesus are uniquely filled with the Spirit in a unique and distinct and personal way. Okay? Are we all right with that? Every human being, and more broadly, every created thing, and in fact the physical earth, is acted upon by the Holy Spirit, breathed upon by the Spirit of God, created, sustained, upheld. But followers of Jesus, and even in the Old Testament followers of Yahweh, before Jesus came, are uniquely filled and possess the Spirit in a unique and a personal way. So keep that distinction in your mind, otherwise you're going to go down some crazy heresy roads. Every person is acted upon by the Spirit, not every person is filled with the Spirit. But what I'm seeking to do from the Old Testament here is get us thinking of the role and work of the Spirit in a way more broadly than what we're comfortable or used to thinking about Him. Because we can easily just think, well, the Holy Spirit, that's, that's what goes on in church services. Well, the Holy Spirit's just what happens in my heart. And of course, those things are essential and important parts of the Spirit's work, but they don't exhaust the work and the person and the role of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is huge. It's summed up in the Old Testament best, I think, in Psalm 104. Last Old Testament scripture we'll look at here. Psalm 104, verse 27. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Isn't that beautiful? When you send forth your ruach, your spirit, they are created. All living things are created and you renew the face of the ground. I think we need to get a bit better at naming the Spirit and naming the ways that we see the Spirit at work in our lives, in our church, and yes, in the world around us at large. When you sit and look out at a wild West Coast beach on a blustery winter day and you see the waves crashing against the rocks, you see the blustery wind, name the Spirit. It's the Spirit that is the power that animates creation and sustains and upholds creation, the power that gives life to those waves and that wind. Please don't hear me saying this is pantheism where God's just absorbed into his creation. He is distinct from it. But the Spirit is always acting upon creation, giving life, sustaining, upholding. When you, when you behold beautiful scenery like that, name it. Don't just name the Father and the Son. Name the Spirit. Bring the Spirit into the equation. Don't let him have third place. When you take your dog for a walk, Thank the Spirit. 
all created beings, Scripture says, look to you to give them their food at the appropriate time. You send forth your spirit. The Holy Spirit sustains the life even of animals. When you're working in your veggie garden, as we were yesterday, we're not very good at working in our veggie garden, but you see the broccoli starting to grow, you see the lettuce starting to grow, name the spirit. You send forth your spirit and renew the face of the ground. The spirit brings the seasons, the spirit brings the rain and the sunshine. Yes, it's from the Father, yes, it's through the Son, but yes, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe work the Holy Spirit into your grace as a family. How about that? I haven't tried that yet, but I'm keen to give it a go. I'm a bit nervous, but I'm keen to give it a go. What about naming the Spirit at grace? See, you might think, gosh, this is, this is weird. This is, the Spirit doesn't do this stuff. He only does this stuff over here. But I think that's a fallacy that we've drifted into without reading the Bible, and particularly without reading the Old Testament and seeing the many ways in which the Spirit works. God is interested and at work in the minutia of creation, including your veggie garden. So when the broccoli and the lettuce are on the table, thank the Spirit. Yeah, don't leave the Father and the Son out, but thank the Spirit. He is so often the neglected member of the Trinity. Bring him forward. Name him and thank him for his powerful work in bringing up the broccoli. And on those cold winter days, you know, when you see your breath in front of your face, name the Spirit, giving life, sustaining me at every moment. Now, all this talk about the work of the Spirit in creation, it raises a really difficult question. And that is, what happens when we don't see the Spirit at work? What happens when it looks like the Spirit's life-giving, creating work is not happening in a particular situation? One of the toughest situations that I've walked into was a hospital room where a young mum had just given birth to a stillborn baby. It was so difficult. She went into the hospital fully expecting to give birth to a healthy baby girl. And the baby was stillborn. And I walked into that room. They were still in the delivery suite. It was just a couple of hours after she'd given birth. The baby was there with mum. And there's just that sense of numbness. There's no meaningless God talk for those situations. Where's the spirit then? Where's the Holy Spirit? If the Spirit is the one who gives life, renews the face of the ground, knits children together in their mother's womb, then where's the Spirit in that delivery suite? I didn't offer any platitudes or theological explanations. That wasn't the time for it. But I think that we can say from Scripture that the Spirit's work in the world is being opposed by another power and another force of sinfulness and brokenness, which has its origin in Satan, the enemy of God. And where the Spirit brings life and creates and sustains and upholds, Satan, we're told, comes to rob and steal and destroy and thwart the work of the Spirit of God. It's what he's done throughout the whole biblical story. The Spirit is continually seeking to move creation forward, giving life, renewing the face of the ground. Satan is continually seeking to push creation back to tohu wabohu. Push creation back to darkness, back to uncreation, and reverse the good work that God is doing. Take, for example, the death of Jesus. When Jesus dies on the cross, what natural phenomena do you see? Darkness and earthquakes. 
What does this represent? Satan attempting to thwart the creation of God and the spirit of God's work in the life of this man, Jesus. Satan is taking creation back to darkness, back to chaos, back to tohu wabohu. The forces of tohu wabohu are still alive and well in the world, and they are contesting the work of the spirit. Satan and his powers, his demons, stand against the power of the Holy Spirit in the world. So while the Spirit is making children fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God, many, many couples still struggle with infertility and miscarriage and stillbirth because the work of the Spirit is being thwarted and opposed. The Spirit gives life to people, and yet human beings are brilliant at taking life from one another and thwarting the work of the Spirit. The Spirit renews the face of the ground and upholds and sustains creation at every moment, and yet we experience natural disasters, which become human tragedies. Because the work of the Spirit is being opposed. The Spirit, at this moment, in the providence of God, does not have free reign on earth and in the human heart. But the Spirit of God is up against the power of Satan. And we need to name that, too. As much as we name the ways that the Spirit is at work, and identify the ways the Spirit is working in the world, we also need to identify the ways in which the Spirit's work is being thwarted. Through the taking of life, and through the thwarting of whatever kind of creativity and life and sustenance the Spirit is seeking to bring. There's a tension here. But it's not a tension that lasts forever. It's not just an equal playing field between the Spirit here and Satan and his forces here. Because when the Gospel of John opens in the New Testament, we read exactly the same three words that we read in Genesis 1. In the beginning. John is telling us a new creation story. He's telling us that in a sense, creation is rebooting. There's a new creation now that's going to come right out of the old. And this creation revolves around the Word, Jesus, the living Word the one who is the bearer of the Spirit, the one who, as we'll look at next week, is the truly Spirit-filled and Spirit-empowered man and the one who receives from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and pours him out upon all of God's people. Jesus is the bearer of the Spirit and he comes as the beginning of God's new creation story to breathe life into the world. God speaks and Jesus, the Word, goes forth, bringing about new creation. And just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning, The Spirit again is hovering over Jesus. More than that, the Spirit is filling this man, Jesus, conceiving him and filling him right from the get-go. We're going to look at this in the Spirit and the ministry of Jesus next week. Jesus comes as the bearer of the Spirit and the one who is renewing creation, unleashing the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can and does go forth and bring about new creation, even though Satan still tries to push us back to tohu wabohu. We're going to look at that next week. But for now, let's focus and practice naming the Spirit in the world around us. The ways that we see the Spirit working in our life, in our family, in our church, and even in creation. The life-giving Ruach of God who is at every moment sustaining, creating, upholding, and renewing all things. You send forth your Spirit and you renew the face of the ground. I want to finish this morning by asking you to join me in reading a prayer. And it is a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And that might strike some of you as weird as well. You're not used to speaking 
to the Holy Spirit, but I want to encourage you as another application in the series to practice talking to the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's not blasphemous, it's not heretical. When you talk to one person of the Trinity, of course you're talking to all three anyway. But usually when, when you pray, <clears throat> you address your prayers to God generically or maybe the Father. But get used to addressing the different persons of the Trinity in your prayers. And when you do that, think of their different roles. Pray to God as the source and the origin of all life, the creator. Pray to Jesus as the redeemer the one who is the God-man, come to save us. Pray to the Spirit as the strengthener, the comforter, and the one who is renewing our lives and seeking to renew all of creation. So here's a prayer. It's based on, can we put that one up, Malcolm? It's based on Psalm 104 and that phrase, you send forth your spirit and renew the face of the ground or the face of the earth. So I'll say the words that are not in bold. And then let's all join together and read these phrases that are in bold. Let's make this our prayer to the Spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, bringing order out of chaos, come renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, breathing life into the lifeless, come renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, making strong the weak, come renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, giving talents to your people, come renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, guiding all who trust in you, come renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, filling all things, come renew the face of the earth. Holy Spirit, it feels a bit strange to be speaking to you. We're so used to talking to the Father, well at least I am. We kind of feel like we know Jesus, but Holy Spirit of God, we just confess sometimes we don't quite know what to do with you. But we acknowledge you this morning, Spirit of God, as the one through whom everything has come into being. You are the powerful Ruach of God. It's breathed life into this world, breathed our lives into being. And at every moment, Spirit of God, we depend completely upon you for life and breath. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've been present and working in more ways than we've ever acknowledged. And we thank you, Spirit of God, that you were also present with Jesus on the cross. That you were his strength in the absence of his Father. And that, Spirit of God, you raised Christ from the dead on the third day by your power. And that same power, Spirit of God, gives life to our bodies now and brings healing and forgiveness into our hearts. So we thank you, Spirit of God, for redemption that you've brought to us and sealed on our hearts through Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray through this series you'd make us more conscious of your presence with us, more conscious of your power around us, more conscious of the many ways that you are at work in this world. We pray this in the name of the Son, Jesus. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 
415 0455. Thank you for listening.